Good to see you all out this evening. I hope you're ready. Um, I hope you're ready to study God's Word tonight and the next several weeks. I'm very, very excited about this series, um, but probably not for the reasons that you think I'm excited. We're going to talk about theology. In fact, our series is called just that, Theology for Life. And when some people hear that word, even Christians, when Christians hear the word theology, they imagine arguments about whether or not Adam had a belly button, who did Cain marry, that kind of thing. Uh, Pointless discussions often that don't really address the Christian life, or often the Bible. This is precisely what, what Paul condemns in one of his letters when he Uh, talks about the danger of debating endless genealogies, taking something that's sort of in the Bible and turning it into an ongoing argument that doesn't really touch on how we live for the Lord Jesus. But that's not what I mean about theology, when I say theology, because that's not really theology anyway. What I'm talking about when I say theology for life is the truth about God revealed in his word, that shows us both who he is and how we are to live. It is literally teaching about God that directly impacts our lives. Some of you are seeing that first word and the last word in the series, and you're thinking that's a contradiction. There is the way I live my life, the way I live my Christian life, and there are the doctrines that people talk about. But you've, in your mind, sort of created this wall between those two things, right? So, so you think, I don't need to learn about the Trinity. I mean, I know it means three, and it's not four, so I'm good. Uh, but I want to come to church and be taught about prayer. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how I can develop a prayer life, how I can habituate that. But I don't need someone lecturing me on the Trinity. What we're going to discover, even as we talk about the Trinity, um, which is not only important because God revealed it, <laughs> But how, whether or not you understand the Trinity will determine whether, you not, whether or not you actually understand prayer and what's going on when you pray. So even the Trinity is practical. We can divide these things and have this dichotomy between the doctrines of the Bible and then the things the Bible tells me to do, the commands of Scripture. But if that's where your mind goes, to that dichotomy, if you're wondering how in the world can David make and Pastor Tyler make a series out of this subject, then this is precisely for you. Because when it comes to living the Christian life and Christian theology, I think if if, if we uh, pay attention to what Scripture says about this, we could say what Jesus says about marriage. What God has joined together, nobody should separate. But a lot of us have separated it. So here's, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be bridging the gap between Christian doctrines and Christian behavior. So really each sermon after tonight, because tonight's kind of an intro, really, I'm just trying to get you to, to buy into this, and I hope you, you do by the time we're done. But after tonight, Pastor Tyler is going to be uh, speaking next week. What we're going to be doing is giving a brief sketch of a major doctrine of the Bible— And then we're going to apply it. We're going to tell you why it matters. We're going to tell you how this affects you Thursday morning. And if you've not made that bridge in your Christian life yet, this is 
uh, really a great time to do so in, in this series. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with basic Christian doctrine, with, with basic theology, um, a lot of this will be new for you. And if you are familiar with, with basic doctrine, if you could take like our core beliefs and be able to explain them to other people, you've been a Christian a long time, well, this will also be helpful to you as well. Because my, my main desire in this series is not really that you would just know theology better. My great desire in this series, as we look to God's word, when it comes to these things, is that you are convinced not just that the theology of Scripture is true, but that it directly impacts your life. And really one of our main goals, especially tonight, is, is to open up your eyes so you see this gap between what you believe as a Christian and how you behave as a Christian. So why should we study theology as a church? Number one, theology is for transformation not just information. Theology, doctrine, is for transformation, that is, is meant to change you, to radically transform you, not just information. Now, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, or maybe how recently you've become a Christian, if you're a new believer, there is something dominant in your heart that shapes your life. It shapes your decisions. It affects you every day. You are at war with it. It's the flesh. And the flesh, that is that, that residual sin nature that's, that's left over in us, even after we are saved, the flesh doesn't just entice you uh, to, to, to commit sinful actions externally. Now, it does entice you to do those things. It entices you to lie and to steal and to manipulate and to hate. But the flesh also leads to wrong thinking. It leads to an inadequate view of life. It leads to an understanding of yourself that is in opposition to what God says about you. And and while we may be on the lookout for the flesh as our sin nature tempts us to do these different things, often we don't realize that our ideas, what we really, truly think about ourselves and God, will shape and will lead to all of the actions that we take. So, in other words, your behavior this week is not just a product of your habits. It's not just a product of how you were raised, your environment growing up. Your behavior this week is really, uh, it, it, it indicates how you really think about life. Because whatever we, whatever we value the most, whatever we really believe is true will always work itself out into our actions. So theology is for transformation, not just information. The flesh is not just external, it is internal. And that means as Christians, if we want to change the way we live, if we want to grow in how we follow Jesus, whether that's in our home or in our workplace or in our sharing of the gospel, in our prayer, in our study of scripture, how we talk to our kids, if we want to grow in those things, it starts with changing how we think, with changing how we know, with reevaluating how we really believe. Biblical doctrine can inform your thinking and thus transform your life because your life is the product. Your choices, your behavior, that's all a product of what you think. And what is doctrine anyway, Dave? Well, doctrine is just really teaching that brings clarity, especially when it comes to what the Bible says. 
That is, we're shining a light on on what the Bible says, whether it's doctrine, theology, we're organizing the Bible's ideas, we're shining a light on on what it says, not just so you can memorize it and know a bunch of like Christian factoids and do good on Bible trivia, but so you actually live as a different person. And this is the Bible's version of doctrine that is teaching that that, that leads to transformed, different living. And I'm going to show you that uh, in the New Testament in several places. Uh, Paul Tripp writes this, the doctrines of the Bible are not so much ideology as they are living and divine tools of salvation, transformation, identity, and guidance. He says even even our salvation is connected to this. By the way, did you know that when you became a Christian, you received the gospel? I mean, the gospel is full of doctrinal ideas. When you first heard the gospel, you were being taught uh, true beliefs about God, theology. And those beliefs, if you're a Christian, I hope you would agree with this, radically altered the course of your life, right? Well, that doesn't stop when we become converted. True ideas about God and uh, those ideas in his word are meant to transform us all the way until we get to heaven. It doesn't stop when we get saved. There's a beautiful metaphor for this kind of personal transformation in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 13. I wish I could read all the, all the text that, that leads up to verse 13. It's about uh, God's everlasting covenant with his people and how when they hear his truths and, and res- respond to those truths, what he's going to do in their lives. But I'm just going to read of, uh, verse 13. It's, it's just so powerful. Listen to this. Instead of the thorn... That is, uh, I should say, after, after the rain of God's truth falls on the ground, this is sort of like an agricultural metaphor, the rain falls on the ground, that's God's truth going into the hearts of his people. Uh, it's, Isaiah says, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. In other words, God is going to do something, and it's permanent, and, and he gets all the credit for what he's going to do. Now, this is a strange picture, isn't it? He's talking about God's truth coming to God's people, which is what we're doing anytime we teach or study or read doctrine. God's truth is coming into the hearts and minds of God's people. And what happens? Something unbelievable. If you had a thorn bush in your backyard, then, then you would not assume, and if it just gets enough rain, if we just had a little bit more rain in this town, that thorn bush would turn into an oak tree. I mean, is, is that how it works? No, of course not, right? It'd still be a thorn bush. What would it be? It would be a wet thorn bush, right? That was a joke. But God says, the rain of, the, of my truths... From my word, as you listen to my prophets, and one day as I send my Messiah, and he'll reveal things to you in then that my people today don't even know, you're going to receive those truths, and thorn bushes are going to turn into trees. You say, well, that doesn't happen. That's the kind of transformation that our God is capable of as we listen to what he says, as we listen to doctrine, as we study these ideas in God's word. They don't just make the thorn bush wet. Something different replaces the thorn bush and something else grows in its place. That's what God, that's what doctrine is all about. Not just informing you, transforming you. This is radical transformation. And so it is with God's people as we respond to, as we feast on, as we absorb and take in 
what God teaches us in his word. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, kind of a New Testament parallel, but he goes a step further. He says that we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, that is, as, as we gaze on Jesus, and Paul's idea of Jesus is not just uh, any kind of Jesus we want him to be. Paul's talking about knowing the stories of the Gospels and meditating on them and thinking about them and ingesting them and, and, and knowing the Sermon on the Mount and paying attention to it, right? That's what he's talking about. As we do this, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that is, as we take a look at Jesus and what Jesus teaches, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That is, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, from one degree of being like Christ to another degree of being like Christ to another degree of being like Christ. Do you get the picture here? As we gaze on Jesus, as we pay attention to Jesus, as we listen to this story about Jesus, and we know from, from the road to Emmaus that that's Really, you could say that about the whole Bible. It's all about Jesus. As we take in the truths of God's word, as we take in doctrine, we don't just know more about who this Jesus of Nazareth was like. No. The demons know all about that. There are historians who are not converted who know all about that. No. That's not what Paul's saying. He says we become more and more like Jesus as we pay attention, as we take in these truths about him. We are not talking about doctrine for information only. We're not talking about getting smarter. We're not talking about being Bible nerds. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, that's fine. That's okay. But that is not what theology is for at the end of the day. We, it makes us more like Jesus. So number one, uh, theology is for transformation, not just information. Number two, we should study theology as a church, and we're going to for the next several weeks, because the Great Commission connects discipleship with learning all of Jesus' teachings. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we were here on Sunday. Let's go back. Really, I'm just going to focus on something that pops up in verse 20. Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What does it mean to teach them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. Notice those three words, teach, observe, and command. There's more than one thing going on here. Jesus is, doesn't just say, make sure as you preach the gospel, as you tell people about my death and resurrection, and you call them to believe on me, make sure they are aware of all the things I've said. He doesn't say that. Nor does he simply say, as you call people to the gospel, as you baptize them, make sure they do all the good things that I did. He doesn't say that either. Jesus, in in giving this vision for discipleship, that is, our work as the church to invite other people to Jesus and by the power of the Spirit help them to grow up into Jesus, our work is not just to teach them things or to get them to obey things. It's both. It's both. 
uh, uh, pastor, Burke, Burke Parsons, says this about verse 20. Jesus doesn't simply say, teach them all that I've commanded. That'd be what to do, how to live. Nor did he say, only teach them doctrine. That is, give them facts, tell them what they need to know. But rather, he said, teach them, that's doctrine, to obey what I've commanded. That's behavior. So then what are we doing as we are growing as a disciple of Jesus? We're learning more about what Jesus says, but then we're obeying it, right? Now, whenever in our lives we focus on one of those things to the exclusion of the other, we have, we have an incomplete version of discipleship. That is, we're not growing on the diet God wants us to grow on. God's goal for you as a Christian is not just to obey and, and follow after Jesus' moral example. Because you need to be taught everything Jesus commanded. By the way, that's a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> Nor is it to just be aware of all the stuff that Jesus had and have all that information in your brain, but not ever obey it. Both of those are extremes, and both of those fail to grow as a Christian as Christ calls us to grow. So you see, discipleship then happens when believers grow in their knowledge about Jesus' commands and simultaneously grow in their obedience to Jesus' commands. Now, some of us all, based on your personality, you probably lean one way or the other. Some of us tonight only want to grow in our obedience to Jesus' commands. So we want to come to church, we want to be told how to have a devotional life, how to have a great family, how to be a great husband, how to be a great mom, how to share the gospel at work, etc., etc., etc. We want to obey things. Some of us just want to know things. So, you watch a lot of YouTube videos, you borrow books from people like me, which is fine, you can borrow books, that's great. And yet, there is no discernible difference in how much you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit compared to five years ago. And that's not healthy. I don't, I don't care if you've read like everything Augustine ever wrote. If you won't make somebody a meal or pick someone up for church or you never share the gospel with people, you're not a healthy Christian. But if your version of Christianity only has you doing nice things for other people, but you never want to study what God has revealed about himself, that's not right either. So what is a disciple? We are taught to obey all that Jesus commanded. That is, we're growing in our knowledge and we're growing in our obedience at the same time. Does this make sense? Do you catch this? Theology is for life. If it's biblical, doctrine is for our Thursday mornings. It's for our, it's for our home. It's for our workplace. It's for our thinking, our thought patterns. This is not either or. There's a bunch of biblical references that make this clear. We're not, it's not just Matthew 28. Teaching was a centerpiece of what the church did in the New Testament. So, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What did the first Christians do that were converted under, under Peter's message? They continued in the apostles' doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, Paul writes to Timothy, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That is, Timothy was called to read the scriptures, to exhort people, that is, to tell people to do specific things based on the scriptures. That's called application. And then, to doctrine, that is to explain things in the Bible. First Timothy 4.16, Paul says to Timothy again, take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine. 
continue in them. What does Timothy need to do as a pastor? And what really should every Christian do? Take heed to yourself. How am I living? Am I growing in my obedience for Jesus? Am I protecting my soul? Do I have the fruit of the Spirit? Do I do the things Jesus tells me to do? But he also says, take heed to your doctrine. Do I understand the Bible? Am I growing in my knowledge of what the Bible teaches? Which did Timothy need to do? Both. Both. And so should Timothy's people that he was pastoring. Titus 2.1, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The church in the first century with Paul and Peter, all these apostles that were left by Jesus to explain Jesus' teachings, is not just a place where they gave life hacks and gave moral advice and told people how to live. It was a place of teaching, of explaining these truths about God that he's given us in his word. So then to be a follower of Jesus, to live in the Jesus way, is not just to be aware of the events of Jesus' life. It's not just uh, to be aware even of the history of the Bible. It's to know, to grow in this knowledge of what it means and how it affects how you live. It's to know more about Jesus and become more like Jesus. It's to know more about what God says and do more and more live out what God says and how he has called you to live as one of his people. Now you may have an objection. David, I get all the verses, and I know kind of what you're saying. But why do you think I need doctrine? Why do you think I need theology? Why do I need to know the Bible and know these different ideas in the Bible and these different themes in the Bible to live well? Can I, for instance, have a great marriage, a Christian marriage, without necessarily growing in my understanding of doctrine? Well, I mean, it depends really if you're talking about the world's definition of a great marriage or Christ's definition of great marriage. If you're a husband and you go to Ephesians 5, you will find that Paul gives you commands, certain ways to live, certain things you need to do, very practical, but he mixes that in with a bunch of theology, right? How are you supposed to be a Christian husband? What are the good things you're supposed to do? Well, you need to sacrifice, sacrifice yourself to the same degree that Christ sacrificed himself in order to purify, in other words, to make holy your spouse. You give up yourself for your holiness, for their holiness. Now, if you're going to talk about being a Christian husband, you just have read a few verses in Ephesians 5, and you've run up against all sorts of doctrines, the doctrine of the atonement. And by the way, how deeply you understand and how deeply you appreciate the atonement will be how deeply you understand Ephesians 5 and the command to be a husband that gives himself like Jesus. If you have a shallow view of what Jesus has done for you in his substitutionary death, you're going to have a shallow view of your role as a husband. If you have a deep, rich view of what Jesus has done for you in his death that you have spent years meditating on, you'll have a deep, rich understanding of what you need to do as a husband for your wife and what that sacrifice really means. You can't separate what God has put together. Discipleship is not just behavior modification. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Paul, at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, um, he says, in light of all these mercies, I I beseech you based on the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Romans chapters 1 to 11. And if you've read Romans 1 to 11, if you haven't, you will maybe on the Bible reading plan this year, you're going to find out there is a lot to the mercies of God. Like, there is a lot that he's done for us. So, Paul says, I beseech you, because of all of this that Christ has done for you, give yourself as a living sacrifice. Then he says this, be not conformed, be not conformed to this world. 
Don't think, don't act, don't behave like the world thinks, acts, and behaves, but rather be transformed. But he doesn't stop there. By the renewing of your mind. Paul doesn't say, stop living like the world, Christians in Rome, and start being transformed. Go get yourself transformed. Go do it. How do we get transformed? How do we stop living like the world, stop those patterns, and start thinking, acting, living, loving, sharing, sacrificing, giving, evangelizing like a Christian? The renewing of our mind. (laughs) Gazing at Jesus, knowing his word, filling our mind with thoughts of God, learning doctrine, learning what the apostles taught. And you see the cause and effect, what's the effect of that? Then we'll be transformed. Then we'll be transformed. Do you want to be a good employee? Study doctrine. Study the Bible. Study these ideas about God and what he's given us. Do you want to be a good mom, a good son, a good daughter, a good friend, a good church member? Study doctrine. Fill your mind with thoughts that God has given us to think about. Philippians 4, what is good, pure, holy, and true. Fill your mind with that. And what is the effect of that? Transformed living. Transformed living. Number three, and then then we're done. Number three, why should we study theology as a church? We need to know the gaps between what we believe and how we behave. We need to know the gaps between what we believe and how we behave. Oh, we see this in the Bible, don't we? (laughs) Jonah, running from God. God tells him to go to Nineveh. He says, no. He goes in the opposite direction. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, there's a a book, a short minor prophet, a book of the Bible named Jonah, and it has the whole story there. You can read it tonight. He runs in the other direction, says no to God, gets on board a boat, falls asleep. He gets woken up because there's a storm. And all these pagans are wondering um, whose God is mad because someone is in trouble, right? You know, uh, if if you're on a boat with a bunch of pagans in the ancient world and they're wondering whose God is mad, it must be a really bad storm, right? (laughs) So they say, well, let's talk to the guy sleeping. Maybe he's done something bad. And you know what Jonah tells them? I'm a Hebrew and I fear God. What, Jonah? (laughs) You fear God? The God that you just said no to? The God you just ran away from and and told him, you're not going to do what he wants you to do? How is Jonah's theology? Perfect. But there was a gap between what Jonah knew to be true about God and then how he behaved. And then we see it in Peter in the New Testament. You'll find the story in Galatians chapter 2. Peter doesn't write it in either of his letters, But Paul writes in one of his to explain uh, a point um, about the gospel and how it it, it came from from Jesus to Paul. But it was one of those examples. Um, Paul's talking about uh, this interesting run-in he had with Peter. So um, now uh, most most of us are probably not uh, full-blooded ethnic Jews in here. And if you're not and you're a Christian, you know that at some point in the past— uh, uh, non-Jews started hearing the gospel and being baptized and being brought into churches. Well, the, the, the person God revealed that 
uh, instruction to, the person that God showed that that was okay to bring non-Jews into God's people. Now we have equal standing with God. We're all God's people. If we're in Christ, Jew or not, doesn't matter. The person God revealed that to was Peter. Okay? He's about to meet Cornelius. God gives, gives him this, this dream of animals. I've had a lot of dreams about animals, but this was an important one because through this, I, I end up getting to hear the gospel. It's kind of a big deal. Peter was the apostle that, that had to break this news. This is, this is kind of important. He was the first one that God had shown this to and hence revealed what was already in the Old Testament all along, that the people from the nations would come and be in the kingdom of God, and here we are. Well, <laughs> Peter's in Antioch. They're having a fellowship meal. He's sitting down eating with Gentiles. Maybe he even felt a little bad doing it. I don't know, because he was raised like you're not supposed to do that. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees some chariots or donkeys or, I don't know, maybe people walking. He sees them. He knows they're from the church of Jerusalem. I don't know how he knows that. Maybe they had, like, T-shirts made that said, like, circumcise the world. I don't know. But somehow, Peter knows. He's sitting with these Gentiles that are not circumcised. They're not circumcised. And all of a sudden, he's like, have you ever, like, made a, a fake excuse to get up from a table because you're in a conversation you didn't want to be in? So Peter did something like that. Maybe he said, guys, I forgot. I have, to get, I have to go get more tacos. I'll be right back. But then he doesn't come back. They're like, where's Peter? He said he was getting tacos. He did not want to be seen eating with Gentiles. Now, Peter's theology was fine. Peter knew that anyone in Christ now had access to all of the promises of God. All justification, righteousness, a new earth. That's ours, in Jesus. He knew that. But his theology did not match up with how he behaved. His belief, even though it was right, had not found its way into his behavior. Now, Peter got that right. Paul rebuked him of it, and everything ended up being okay. He got his tacos, and maybe he sat back down with his friends. But the point is that without ever intending to, we can have a gap between right behavior and right belief. I, hope you've, I wonder if you've seen this in your own life. We say we believe God is sovereign in this world. But when we are in difficult situations, we try to do whatever we can to be in control of our circumstances. Have you ever done that? And we say that we know God's in control at the end of the day. God is king, I'm not. But then something happens and we scramble as if we were sovereign when we're not. We say we believe God is good. But when we are in an uncomfortable experience, we question his goodness. We say we believe God is omnipotent, that is that he is all-powerful. He can do anything. We say we believe that. But then we don't pray and ask him to do anything, even when we need him. We say we believe the Bible is God's word, but we don't read it. Or perhaps we do read it, but then we act in ways that are opposite of what it teaches. We say we believe in the doctrine of sin, But when a family member or a spouse or a child or a church member or a pastor confronts us about our sin, it seems like we never admit to it. 
We always find a way to shift the blame, always find a way to excuse it. We're always off the hook. We never sin, but somehow we say we believe in sin. We say we believe in eternity, but we're more concerned with laying up treasures on this earth than making eternal investments. We say we believe in justification, but we constantly fret over our own guilt and shame. We constantly do self-atonement exercises to get on God's good side, even though we say we believe our justification was earned at the cross. We say we believe people are going to spend eternity in hell if they reject Christ, And we go for days and weeks and months without ever managing to bring up the gospel in a single conversation. See, is it possible that the enemy would love nothing more than for you and I to have just enough theology to think we're right, but not enough to live right? Do you think that's possible for you? I think it's possible for me. Uh, one of my uh, favorite professors, John Coe, asked this question all he asked this question all the time. He says, "Why do we sin so easily when we know so much?" Does that bother you? I hope it does. I hope it does. So, as we introduce this series, I just want to ask you: Are you willing to let God show you those gaps? That is, friends, are you willing to let God show you where your belief doesn't match up with your behavior? Where your theology is good, but your life isn't? 